Are you struggling with fear, worry, and insecurity? Do you feel like you're trapped in a cycle of negative thoughts and emotions? If so, you're not alone. There is hope. Find practical strategies and biblical wisdom to help you break free from these burdens and live a life of purpose and fulfillment. Don't let fear control your life. Start living the life God wants you to lead today. With today's message about overcoming fear, worry, and insecurity, here's Pastor Jim Scudder, Jr. There's a lot of things in this world to worry about. Some of you don't know this, and I'm going to give you a confession. I have some fears of my own. One, I'm afraid of question marks. And I'm not sure what that's called, but I'm afraid to ask. (laughs) I'm also afraid of speed bumps, but I'm slowly getting over that. You don't have to groan, just laugh, chuckle. (laughs) How How many things are there to worry about in this world? Oh, there's so many. But then the Bible, Jesus gives us some great advice. He says this, if you want to overcome worry, fear, and insecurity, he says, become as a child. Become as a child? Why would that help me overcome fears and insecurity and and worry? Well, children are small, and they know it. And so they trust those that are big in their lives. So in the area of Being a child, the area of trust, we must revert back to that as as adults in order to overcome those things in our life. So last time we talked about how big God is and how he's with us and he's promised to to not leave us. Uh, He he is a, a God that is great and powerful and mighty. The God that spoke the universe into existence cares about little things like sparrows and lilies and grass. He cares about his creation. How much more does he care about you, his greatest creation by far? You are made in the image of God. So we talked about how big God is last time. Today we're going to talk about the fact that God that is is all-powerful is also a God that isn't going to leave you. So how to understand this, I think the, the best thing we can do is go back to the beginning. So we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, look at Genesis chapter 2 today, and we're going to start there and talk about how we got into this mess. We got into this mess, we can't get ourselves out of this mess, and so there we have to uh, trust the Lord that uh, he will enable us and help us to get out of the the mess that we find ourselves in. We're going to use the Word of God today, and I love having a book that is ancient, but yet relevant and alive. The book that has all the answers, and that's what makes our church a little bit different than other churches. Uh, We actually believe this. (laughs) You say, no, all churches believe this. Actually, they don't. If they do believe it, they're really quiet about it. Uh, we just open it up and say, hey, we can find the answers in this book, and, and we're going we're gonna to find those answers today. So look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. We're going to read about two trees. Out of the ground made 
the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we have a a world full of trees. We have a garden full of trees. And we have two trees in particular that are mentioned. One is called the tree of life. The other is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now God had said, you can eat of any of these trees, except for one. You can eat of any of these trees. So we can imagine hundreds and hundreds of trees, all with incredible produce. The best type of of snack is the one that God provides all wrapped up and ready to go. But we have to take a you know, sugar and mix it with chocolate and add nuts. And, you know, we have our own little snacks that we've made called candy bars. And then believe me, I, I like them. But the best is, is, is a snack that God created, a food that God created. And, and there they had all of these trees and they could have just had the most wonderful time exploring and tasting and experiencing all of God's, uh, blessings. And what a time it must have been. And that could have been, how, how it was always. Of course, we know that something happened. So in Genesis 2 9, it talks about two trees. In Genesis 2 17, it says, But of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now you'd say, Why would God do this? Why would God create a tree? where they could eat of any of the other trees, including the tree of life. But this one tree, they couldn't eat of it. Well, I think there's several reasons. One, uh, the, the big one is, if God hadn't given them a choice to disobey, if he had, if he had just said, do whatever you want, there's nothing off limits. Of course, we know that life would be miserable. Right, We know that there has to be limits in life. There have to be boundaries in life. Uh, or we are miserable. But more important than that, God created something that would give us the ability to choose to disobey. God created us for fellowship. And the only way that you can truly enjoy someone else is to know that they are willingly wanting to be with you. Willingly wanting to enjoy your company. Willingly want to love you. Love has to be willing. You, you cannot force love. If you force love, you never really know if you have it or not. Right? If someone says, if you order your wife to say, I love you, you tell me I love you. Well then if she says I love you, you would never know. If that is volitional, if that's her choice, or if she's doing it because you've demanded it. You can't demand love. So God creates one tree for us to either obey or, or disobey, to, to believe him or disbelieve him, to do what he tells us to do or to rebel against him. What happens? The verse continues, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know the story. You know what happened. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And at that very moment, they 
died spiritually and they started to die physically. And that's something that we all still are under that curse, that penalty of the tree in the garden. Now, in order for God to show his love, there's going to be another tree that enters into this equation. So we've messed it up. We've made something so wonderful, something beautiful, something sweet into something bitter. And there's going to be a third tree that's going to enter the scene that's going to take that bitterness away. Also, in Genesis 3, the Bible gives us the promise of a Savior. That, that God will, will provide us the solution to our problem that we created. And that solution will be the most profound, incredible love story the world has ever known. It's really what the Bible is. It's a big love story. People say, no, the Bible, you know, God's a God of, of vengeance and a God that zaps people. And that's not, that's not the God that, that the Bible speaks of. God is holy and ultimately has to punish sin, has to put down rebellion, or we have what we have today perpetually. As a matter of fact, that's what I want to talk about today because look at the next verse in Genesis 3 and verse 22. The Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us. That doesn't mean man is now God. But in the area of knowledge of good and evil, before they ate of that tree, they were innocent. They, they, it's like, it's like your little toddler running around naked. They have no problem with that. As a matter of fact, I think they prefer it. And we, we, we have no concept of that, right? Because we have the knowledge of good and evil. We've been born with that taint of sin in our life. And there's, there's, there's that knowledge of evil in our mind. And so quickly something can devolve into something evil that should be just innocent. Well, now they had that to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life. Okay. So this is, this is interesting. If God had left them in the garden and had left them have access to this tree of life, if they would have taken of that tree of life after they had taken of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Bible here says that they would eat of the tree of life and live forever. Why is that bad? Because they would be living perpetually in the sin-cursed world that would be separated from God and his love. So what does God do? Look at verse 24. He drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Certainly Adam and Eve must have thought that, that, that God was being vindictive, that God was being uh, uh, harsh, that God would take them out of this garden that he had made, the garden that was their home, the garden that they enjoyed, and, and kick them out and, and not let them back in. That must have been what they thought. But what seems at first glance to be punishment actually is God's love at work. There's a parable of a mule that was walking along one day, minding his own business, but without watching where he was going, fell into a well. 
And that mule was down in that well looking up and, and it was steep and slick and there's no way, no matter how hard the mule tried, that he was ever going to be able to get out. So we thought, well, I guess this is it. But then he hears the farmer whistling and walking and he looks up and he, he can't believe it. So he makes some noise and the farmer looks down and sees the mule in the well. So the mule thinks to himself, well, this is good. I'm going to get out of this. Surely the farmer's going to run off and get a rope. And the farmer did leave and he comes back, not with a rope, but with a shovel. And, and, and the mule can't believe what's happening for the farmer takes the shovel and takes a bunch of dirt and rocks and throws it in, hitting the mule. And the mule must have been so concerned about this. Wait a second, I thought he would, he would get me out and he's just going to bury me? Shovelful after shovelful went in upon this mule and certainly all of these things hurt that animal. But then the animal started to realize something. If he just shook that dirt off, it would fall down and he would step up. Shake it off and step up. And what seemed like punishment, what seemed like cruelty was actually the farmer's wisdom because the farmer knew a rope wasn't going to get that mule out. But this technique, this method was an act of love. And little by little, that mule was able to get up and out of that well. That's exactly what is happening here. And what, what it might be happening in your life, you just don't realize it. You think that God doesn't care. You think that there's no way God would allow this to happen to me. And you have all of these worries and fears and insecurities because you don't understand God's love. What may seem like God's punishment could be actually God's love and action. If God had not kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, they would have eaten of the tree of life and would have been in this sin-cursed state perpetually, eternally. God knows what he's doing. We might not understand it. We probably don't, won't understand it. He's not burying you. He's helping you get out. It's a blessed verse in Jeremiah 29. You probably know this well in verse 11 that says this, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. What are the thoughts of God toward us? When God thinks of you, what does he think of? I'm going to get him. I'm going to zap him. I'm going to bury him. He deserves it. Well, you probably do. I do too. No. The thoughts of the Lord are of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. There's a purpose for all of this, but here's what you need to do. You need to trust him. You need to understand his goodness and his love for you, and you need to be okay with whatever he's doing because you know that what he's doing is for your good. Thoughts of peace and not thoughts of evil. God is a master of turning something bitter into something sweet. I love the story in the Bible, in the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth, a young lady from Moab, which was a, uh, a people group outside of Israel. And... The book of Ruth starts by telling us about a woman named Naomi. 
Now, names in the Bible are very important. They're significant because they have meaning. Naomi means pleasantness. Pleasantness. But, but Naomi, because of a famine, had moved with her husband and sons to Moab. Her husband and sons had died. She had two daughter-in-laws. One came back with her. Her name was Ruth to Bethlehem. But when she moved back to Bethlehem, she asked everyone, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasantness. And Ruth one twenty, call me Mara. Mara, what is Mara? Well, Mara means bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And it did indeed seem like God had taken a lot away from her. He, she was now a widow. She was now impoverished. She no longer had sons. This was very, very bad in the, in the economy of that day. What is she going to do? Think of her, think of her thoughts. Think of the way that she must have thought God has abandoned me. God would, God must not care about me if he was willing to take my husband and sons away but she did have something I don't think she fully appreciated that something well she had a God who cared about her and loved her and she also had a daughter-in-law named Ruth who was an amazing woman and through a whole set of circumstances that we can't take the time to go through today but certainly you probably already know it if you don't know it it's a very short uh, book there's only four uh, chapters I think you could read that yeah, you can read that in a few minutes, folks. Sometimes we think the Bible is just so gigantic, we could never possibly read the whole thing. If you sat down and read the Bible from and just didn't stop, you easily could have it done in, in a, a day or two. Now, no one does that, right? But you could, and, and maybe you should one day. Anyways, Ruth, the story is amazing because Ruth ends up meeting a man named Boaz. And Boaz turned out to be a kinsman of Naomi's and now of Ruth's. And Ruth returned in the same condition that Naomi did in Mara, in bitterness. She was impoverished. Basically, that poverty was going to lead to slavery, so she was enslaved. And then she also was, in a sense, dead because she had no children, and in that culture, if you didn't have children, your name wouldn't live on. If you didn't have sons, your name wouldn't live on. But there was a man named Boaz who was a kinsman who could redeem her. And But you had to find someone that was related, a kinsman, and you also had to find someone that was willing. And fortunately, God's providence was at work. This Boaz was not only just um, able to redeem her as a kinsman, but he was also willing. And he did redeem her. And he did marry her. And now she's no longer impoverished. She's wealthy. She's no longer uh, in slavery. She's now free. She has all of the blessings of Boaz. Now that's hers. And also Naomi had all of these things as well. And then she also was no longer childless for they had a child. Their child's name was Obed. Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. Jesse had a son whose name was 
David. Are you telling me that Naomi went from impoverished, call me bitter, call me Mara, to the great-great-grandmother of the great King David? Absolutely. And progenitor of Jesus himself. God can take something bitter and make it sweet. You just have to trust him. You just have to trust him. God is the master of doing this. Now, Naomi, when she said, call me Mara, she had to be thinking of a biblical story of the, of the Hebrew scriptures that talks about this bitter water of her people. You see, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea and the Red Sea closed in upon her enemy, Egypt, she is now free. She is now a, a, a nation has been born. And there they were on the shore of the Red Sea singing God's praises. But God has delivered them from the powerful army of the Egyptians, allowed them to cross through an ocean on dry land. Tonight, if you want to see exactly where that was, you'll need to come back at six o'clock because I'm going to take you actually underwater right there where I think they came ashore and give you a little bit of background on all of these things. So there they are on that beach where I believe to be in Saudi Arabia. And they went, the Bible says, to a place where there was bitter water. Look at Exodus 15. In verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they came out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now you're going to find this to be a reoccurring theme in their story of not finding water and complaining about it. Now you think God would deliver them from Egypt through the Red Sea, destroy their enemy and not provide water? I mean, are, are we stupid? Are we going to think God's going to do all that and then, okay, now I'm going to let them die of thirst? How, how foolish are we, folks? And I'm telling you, this is me too. We've got to stop thinking that way. The God who would save us by sending us his own son would hold back on some of the things that, that we could have. You're, you're, we're not thinking right. Anyways, they were starting to complain. Verse 23, they came to Mara. Okay, here it is. They could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Wow. Certainly, Naomi had to be thinking of this episode when she said, call me Mara. And then in verse 25, the Lord showed him a tree. So God gave Moses the solution to this problem. Take this tree and then throw it into the bitter water. And what happened? The waters were made sweet. Do you know there was a tree that Jesus died upon? And he died upon a tree. And without that tree, we would still be in bitterness. We would still be in in sin, we would still have no hope. We would have no solution. We would have no savior. We can't save ourselves. We had no savior. We had no kinsman redeemer. We had no one coming to our rescue. 
that was willing and able to take away our sins, we'd still be in this bitter situation. But because of the tree of the cross thrown into our situation, now we have the ability to drink sweet water. Our life now can be full of purpose and meaning and hope. Not to say that every last moment of our life is going to be great, because there's certainly going to be hardships along the way. Everyone experiences them. But no longer do we have to fear. No longer do we have to worry. No longer do we have to be insecure about this because of the cross was thrown into that bitter water and makes our situation something sweet, something full of hope, and something full of life. That cross, that tree, that third tree makes all the difference. And by the way, the tree of life, we don't read much more about it in Genesis until we get to Revelation and we find the tree of life again. If you have, if you have received by faith Jesus Christ as your savior, you're going to be able to eat from the tree of life. We don't know all the details of that, but we do, we do know it's something amazing. And I'm looking forward to that day. What are people's biggest fears? I think we could probably say across the board, no matter how successful or popular the person is or might seem to be, every person has a big fear, a big worry, a big insecurity, and that is this. Will I be abandoned? That's the big one. I think if we really look at ourselves and we really boil it down, that is the big the big worry that we have, the big fear that we have. Will I be abandoned? There was once a girl who was regretting the fact that she broke up an engagement. She wrote the following apology letter to her former fiance. Dear Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) Our biggest fear, our biggest worry, will God forsake me? Will God walk away from me? I'll tell you this. You may walk away from him but he will never walk away from you. This is an important thing. God will never abandon you. If you have put your trust in his son, you are a child of God. That will never change. If you're born again, you're safe and you're secure. You're in Jesus. You're as safe as God himself. Now, what I want to do in the last few minutes of this message is go through Romans 8 in the second half of this great passage and start in verse 31. And I really want you to understand how safe you are, how secure you are. Yes, we mess up. We're going to do things to disappoint the Lord, but he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. We may walk away from him, but he's not going to walk away from you. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, say this next part. Who can be against us? That's profound. Is God for you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him and him alone? If you have, you're a child of God. And he's for you. 
He's for you. So who can be against you? What do we have to fear? Our loving father wants only the best for us. Now he may allow us to go through trials, but that's so that you can receive something better. Something sweeter. Something greater. The next verse, Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son. Let that sink in. The God of all glory spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Think about that. The next time you're fearful, the next time you worry about something, the next time you sense some insecurity, will God abandon me? He spared not his own son. He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You say, well, it just doesn't seem like it. I know, but just wait. Just trust. Just believe. He gave his best. He gave his only son. Why would he hold back on anything else? First John 4, verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which means the perfect blood offering for our sins. How can we question that? Will God abandon us? No. No. Even if you've done something really stupid, he still wants to restore fellowship. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8.33, let's continue. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The enemy accuses you. The enemy is, is pointing out your flaws and your problems and, and, and the, the, the things that you're doing in your life that don't please the Lord. But Jesus, every time the enemy says that, Jesus said, I paid for that sin. 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 Now, not to say that we should sin because we get grace, but because we're adding to the sins that Jesus died for. And it's stupid for us to sin because we are, we are saying we, we trust the Lord and we want to live the way that he wants us to live, but then we don't. It's stupid. We have to, we have to bear the consequences of that sometimes in life and, 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 and have that moment where we don't have that closeness to the Lord. But we, but he's still there. He's still there. Making intercession for us. Who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? And then this, this is a list. This is a comprehensive list. If you're worried about something separating you from the love of, of God, this list pr- pretty much covers everything. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Do you think these things can separate you from the love of God? Yeah, you might go through trials. You might go through tribulations. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yeah, there are bad things that happen. And the early church had a lot of persecution. Does that mean God abandoned them? Does that mean God forsook them? No, God God wanted something better for them. God was doing something in their life. And God is doing something in your life. No matter what the trial is. You could have a blank line, put your, your trial in there, and, and it fits. 
Verse 37, no, nay, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. More than conquerors. Hyper Nikael. Y'all know Nike, right? Conquer, victory. Hyper, more than, beyond victorious. That's you. You're beyond victorious. Think about that. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that. Think about that. How big is your God? And that big God will never be separated from you. It's incredible. I love in Deuteronomy 33 where it says in verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Just think about God putting his arms under you and protecting you and you're never going to fall. You're never going to, to be disowned or abandoned. It was on Friday of this week that was the three-year anniversary of my dad's passing. It was kind of an interesting day because some people you know, said, hey, we're praying for you guys today. And, and you start thinking a little bit, right, about your loved one. And, and we started thinking about dad and his influence and his impact in our lives. And we were telling stories. And it's bittersweet, isn't it, when you lose someone and you think about some anniversary But I knew one thing about my dad. I knew that I was always his son. That was never, ever going to change. Now, you might not have had as good a relationship as I did, but I'll tell you this for sure. Every father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter relationship, there's one truth. That is this. You will always be that person's child. They might say, I wish you weren't. You might say, I wish I wasn't. But the fact remains, you are. Now we have a perfect God who we can call Father. And he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to let anything separate you because he has given you all things. He's given you his son. And if you've accepted that gift if you've believed in Jesus as your only hope that he died for you on a cross and rose again, you are in Christ. Why would he hold back anything? Why would he allow anything that would harm you ultimately? You say, well, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, but you know what? Shake it off and step up. He cares. He, he, he knows what you're going through. He's not going to allow something in your life that will cause you harm, permanent harm. So shake it off and step up. This is the way we overcome fear and insecurity and worry is to realize that we serve a God who cares, who, who we're, we're, we're already basically in the heavens. <laughs> and so we shouldn't fear what man can do. Romans 5, in verse 7, it says, For scarcely, which means rarely, for a righteous man will one die. So it's within the realm of possibility that 
someone would die for someone else that's a good person. Yet, peradventure, perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. So again, that's, that's something that we might see, we might understand for a good person, for a righteous person. Somebody might choose to die in their place. But God commendeth, that means to demonstrate. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. He didn't love you because you were lovely. He loved you because he created you and he has a purpose for you and he wants to redeem you. And he sent his son on a tree so that you can be forgiven from that, uh, that sin that you have, the sin that you were born with, the sin that you do, the, the first sin, that cross that was thrown into the bitterness of our lives, bitterness of sin, can make it sweet if you will just receive Jesus. By faith, put your trust in him. And then once you've done that, now you have a God who demonstrated his love before you knew him, before you loved him. He showed his love to you. He gave you his only son. I've been blessed with daughters. We didn't have a son, but that was fine. We were, we were happy with what God gave us. And I can't even imagine allowing my daughters to die for someone who was wicked. But that's what God did for you. That's what God did for you. You can't question that anymore. You still might, but you shouldn't. How do I overcome these things that worry me, these fears? The, the, the biggest fear is, would God abandon me? Or will, will someone abandon me? Well, someone might abandon you, but God won't. God won't. God proved that. And if you will put your faith in him, the Bible says you'll be saved. And that's glorious. That'll change everything. The more you realize that, the more you live in that thought, it will literally change everything about your life. You will live a life that will be different. Those things that used to haunt you, those things that used to tempt you, if you live in that light, if you live in that fellowship with the Lord and thankfulness every day and, and love for him, those things that won't, won't have an effect on you anymore. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It all comes down to this. Have you received by faith Jesus? If you have, then serve him and remember to trust him. Be, be like a child. If you haven't, put your faith in him. The Bible says that we're all sinners. Let me show you this. This is something my dad really made um, pretty famous. People would know him. He would use his wallet. He would say, let this hand represent sin. Uh, or you and me, and let this, I'll use my phone, represent sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And then he would say, let my other hand represent Jesus, who had no sin, but was made sin for us. God commendeth his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that incredible? And if you will believe in Jesus, to put your full trust in him, not a religion, not your works, but in Jesus, the Bible says you're saved. And then he's not going to let you go. You can let him go, but you, he still has you in his hand. You are secure forever. What if I mess up? You probably will, but you're in Christ. You understand? 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. He gave his son so that you don't have to perish. You don't have to face that eternal separation from God. It's called the second death, which is hell, but have everlasting life, which is an eternal heaven. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. He gave his son to die for us on the cross. If you'll just believe in him, you'll be saved. It's not by works. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Have you received the gift? If you haven't, do it today.